After the sermon, we will have a word of prayer, again asking the Lord to bless the preaching. And then we will sing from the Psalm 91, Psalter 249. And we'll sing it to the tune of Psalter 325. It actually sings really nice also to that tune. Stanza 1, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Dear congregation, belonging to Christ, preaching now on Psalm 91 is surely relevant. And you know why? It's because this psalm speaks to life in a world full of dangers and fears from all sides. How many people live with fears and anxieties? Can you think of the kind of fears people have? Health fears, financial fears, work fears, school fears, family fears, church fears, political fears, world fears, you name it. I had to smile to myself when I was preparing for this sermon. I read about, in connection with health fears, someone said that people today take so many vitamins that they rattle when they walk. Now that is not meant to say you shouldn't take vitamins, but it, it's a, it just bears out the point. People live with fears, anxieties. Maybe you in our time today have fears and anxieties that threaten and plague you in one way or another in various degrees. Well, Psalm 91 gives us God's answers to the fears of mankind. And it's so good, so reliable what he says. Isn't it interesting that the universal emergency number in North America is 911? There is no record that was chosen at all in view of Psalm 91. But how very significant the comfort in all our fears as found in Psalm 91, verse 1, which some have called the Bible's 9-11 verse since, of course, September 11, 2001. What's that verse, Psalm 91, 1? He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. People have memorized Psalm 91, I know, I know at least in Calgary, and they repeat it either at night when they go to bed or in the morning when they face a new day. It's a psalm declaring how safe and secure we are in and with the Lord as your and my refuge. Yes, come what may. Dial up this psalm speaking reverently before God in your fears and troubles and divine supreme emergency help has given us time and again without fail. We are not told the human author of this psalm nor its historical context. Many have said it's most likely Moses again. We saw, we saw he, did, he wrote Psalm 90. And the defense for the idea that it's Moses is there are many similar phrases and words in this psalm as found also in the book of Deuteronomy. Some of the imagery of the psalm, as with Psalm 90, reflects the dangers of journeying through a wilderness 
in this fallen world. But we have to say, not given the human author who he was, we should not think we can know for certain. And we should realize too, the Holy Spirit, with the writing of the psalm, determined that it is not important either. As one commentator wisely expressed, with this psalm being in fact, quote, anonymous and timeless, perhaps it's all the more accessible for that. Well, the aim now with preaching on Psalm 91 is that all God's people here, seeing and hearing God's precious gospel word, may be so encouraged and comforted and gladdened in and with the Lord as you are my trust and refuge. At the same time with the preaching on this magnificent portion of God's word, well, the aim is that whoever is yet unsaved or standing far from the Lord, that you draw to Him and that you become converted even today. Fleeing, yes, without hesitation to the only true helper and hiding place in our emergency fallen world. Fast headed to certain destruction left to itself. Calvin called this Psalm 91 one of the finest psalms. And Spurgeon says about this psalm, he says, there is not a more cheering psalm in its tone, it's elevated throughout, and faith is at its best here in this psalm, and it speaks oh so nobly, and he says, he, here is heavenly medicine against all plague and pest, and he who lives in its, its spirit will be fearless even in the most fearful of times. So let's now together look at this psalm. Considering it under the theme as given in the bulletin, always safe and secure with the Lord as our refuge. Observe with me how this one psalm, in this one psalm, this is gospel truth that's declared beautifully, illustrated bountifully, and confirmed beyond measure. And it's good to have your Bibles open as you see this with me. To see what a refuge and safe hiding place we find from all fears in and with the Lord. It, that is something declared beautifully in the psalm. Just notice the following details of the psalm with me. The psalm is divided into three main parts. With the first part, the verses 1 to 2, the psalmist testifying of taking refuge with the Lord. And then the second part, the verses 3 to 13, is either the psalmist talking to himself or another believer talking to him, proclaiming for sure the boundless deliverances found with the Lord. And then in the third part of the psalm, verses 14 to 16, we see, we see God himself become the speaker, giving most precious assurances of all this psalm proclaims to us. So then, looking now at the first section of the psalm, who will not agree these verses declare beautifully how safe and secure we always are in and with the Lord as our refuge? And to see this, look for example with me just at the four names for God as given in the two, first two verses. He's called Most High in verse 1. And again in verse 9. And this name for God emphasizes God, He's far above and supreme over any threat or danger in our lives. He, so to speak, is at the very top of all things and everything. And, and He's 
overall, you could say, and it means really that there's nothing and no one outside of His control and His sovereign direction and care and keeping. Doesn't this explain what sometimes is given as a wise saying in the challenges of life here and now? Maybe you know that saying. That saying, I mean, which states, when you look around you, you get perplexed. When you look within, you get depressed. But when you look up, you get blessed. Yes, indeed. For how good what one wrote, saying about the name for God is most high, quote, most high for God is a title that cuts every size, every threat down to size for us. Most high for God is a title that cuts every threat down to size for us. Indeed, beloved. God, He's most high. And what can't the most high God handle and turn around for our good even when trusting and following Him? And should you doubt this, consider the second of the four names for God in the text. Not only is He most high God, but He's God all-powerful, omnipotent. What does the text say? God Almighty. So again, Psalm, op Psalm 91, it opens, you see, with, with verse 1, beautifully declaring that he or she who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And this second title means trusting in the Lord, yes, especially in regards to all our spiritual needs, but also every other need as well. Always, congregation, what is impossible with us is yet possible with Him. The Lord's hand is not shortened to perform wondrous things, even to cause the greatest dangers and threats and sorrows in our lives to turn out for our good and for our profit. You know, I got an illustration for this from my dear colleague in Black Falls, Pastor Jan Niels. He told me a while back that he went to a ministerial in Black Falls and one of the ministers there shared his story. And he wasn't raised in a Christian family. And he experienced the sadness of his mom and dad not getting along. In fact, as a young boy, he experienced his parents divorcing. And by the way, don't anyone ever let you believe that when parents divorce, it doesn't hurt the kids. It does! But this boy, he went through the trauma of his parents divorcing. And somehow in that experience, he was led to the gospel. And God blessed the gospel to him as the years went by. And he became a saved man. Not only did he become a saved man, he became so blessed by the gospel and convicted and convinced of it, he became a preacher. And this is a true story, congregation. As he preached the gospel, his parents divorced but never remarried. Well, his dad came to hear him preach. And guess what? His dad became a Christian. And then, a little later, his mom came to hear him preach. And guess what? This is a true story. She became a Christian. And then, with both of them becoming Christians and not married to anybody else, they said to one another, we're divorced and we shouldn't be. Let's get back together. That's a true story. Now you say, that's pretty exceptional. Congregation, the older I get, isn't every Christian's life an exceptional story of God's amazing grace and God's amazing power in one way or another. He's God Almighty. 
What did Jesus say in Matthew 28, 18, when he arose from the dead as triumphant savior of sinners? All power, you could translate, all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. And the apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 1 about what is the exceeding greatness of his, that is God's power toward us who believe. According to the working of his, that is God's mighty power, which he wrought or worked through when he raised Jesus from the dead. Yes, in his salvation work. Climaxing in his exaltation, seated at God's right hand in heavenly places. Psalm 91 congregation testifies of trusting in God most high and God almighty. And then you see how safe and secure we are always in his hands. Under his care and keeping. Should you question this still? Consider with me the third name for God given in the first two verses. Still the first two verses. What is the third name as mentioned in the, verse 2? It's the name Lord. And you notice it's in capital letters. Referring to Jehovah God. Referring to him as this self-existent God who never changes and who is the faithful covenant-keeping God who can always be safely relied on and trusted according to his word. You know this God never weakens over time and he never changes any time. He is the great I am that I am. The God and he's ever true to his word and to his promises. He's not different ever than his word tells us of him. And if we are wise, we always prove his word in application and supplication to him in our every need. As the text puts it, the believing psalmist says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. Is this what you and I testify to? Shouldn't it be all our testimony, congregation? I've heard your pastor preach. Why is there anyone still unsaved? What reasons to trust is God? Also, considering yet the fourth title for the Lord being the name God in the text. My God, in Him will I trust, says the psalmist. And the word God here refers not to idol gods of man's making, but to Elohim. Elohim, the one only true God, the eternal and triune God. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. He's the only God. But we know man fell. And as soon as man fell, all kinds of idol gods, false gods, have been made by us. But there's only one true God on the throne. And that's the Lord God of the Bible. He is God for real. He is the God who created us, who provides for us, and who alone can save us from all sin and evil. Paul testifies of this same God in Philippians 4, verse 19 to 20, saying, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God our, and our Father be glory forever and ever, he testifies. Put these names, just these four names together. And will anyone among us not say in spirit and in truth, either for a first time or else with ongoing faith, my God, in Him will I trust. To see and hear more how always safe and secure we are 
with this Lord God as you're my refuge. And how this is beautifully declared in the psalm. Notice how the psalmist speaks of finding refuge and fortress with God. And verse 4, telling of God being his shield and his buckler. All these are different terms. We could have say, expand on it, but I'm not going to. But they all testify of such safekeeping and supply and protection for us, ever trusting in this God of Psalm 91. John Calvin writes, There is no kind of calamity which the shield of the Almighty cannot ward off and repel. Oh, we are so safe and sure trusting Him, so safe and secure. And notice how the psalm says, we can't miss this, we shouldn't miss this either, how close this one true God is with us and how closely He will care for us and keep us. What does the text say? To dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. That means to be so near to Him and to have Him always near to us. Children in church, you know, don't you? To walk in someone's shadow, that person needs to be right by us. And you know, so the Lord is. So He is for His people. In and through Christ, as many as take refuge with Him in true repentance and faith. And verse 4 declares most touchingly, finding escape from fear and danger with Him, Oh, the Lord shall cover thee. He shall cover you with His feathers. And under His wings you shall trust and find refuge. Now this is a very tender picture. And it's likely not just one that reflects a parent bird that shows loving care and watchful protection for the baby birds. But even more, it may be a reference to the wings of the cherubim overshadowing the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies. You know that, that, that Ark of the Covenant, the cherubim over it and the cherubim's wings, they, 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 they face each other, the cherubim's, and their wings touch each other right over the mercy seat, the place where the blood of the sacrifices was sprinkled in atonement for sin. And it's all telling us finding refuge and help with God our Savior through His promised Redeemer, Jesus Christ the Lord. Oh, we are so safe and secure. Doesn't this all make sense to you? Putting this all together? We can't help here but quote a similar text in Psalm 57 verses 1 to 3 where David testifies also in his time of need. Similarly to Psalm 91, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusts in Thee. Yea, in the shadow of Thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed or passed by. I will cry unto God, Most High, unto God that performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Oh, that we all would so trust and wait upon the Lord in all our fears and struggles for always, as Psalm 91 makes so clear, how safe and secure we are in and with the Lord as our refuge. Notice with me further how this is not only declared beautifully in Psalm 91, but it's illustrated bountifully as well. Yes, as we shall see in the verses 3 to 13. After the declaration of a certain unnamed believer in the verses 1 to 2, it looks like maybe the psalmist is talking to himself further or that another believer with him responds to the first believer saying, Oh yes, 
trusting God. God will be there for you, whatever danger and fear you may have. And then he gives a whole list and range of dangers we may meet with in life that God provides deliverances in and through his power and might, regardless how threatening those dangers may appear. When you read through the verses 3 to 13, it, it's true, isn't it, what one commentator wrote, most of the terrors mentioned in this psalm are, are left more or less undefined. And no doubt intentionally so, wrote this person, so that for us no kind of danger is omitted from application. Believers in every age can read this psalm to learn that nothing can harm a child of God unless the Lord permits it. Yes, having said that, however, it's surely profitable to note a few observations from the whole range of dangers listed that God takes care to deliver us from, as expressed in this psalm. Consider His deliverances and protection as 24-7 coverage. That's pretty good, you know. 24-7 coverage. Whether the danger be in the daytime or the nighttime. The psalm says that, right? Children at nighttime, we can get scared pretty, pretty easily. We just went to change the time again and it gets dark earlier. We can get scared. But we don't have to be afraid of the terror by night nor the arrow that flies by day, says this psalm, when our trust is in the Lord. And whether the threat be as a pestilence that walks in darkness or as destruction that lays waste at noonday, we are safe and secure when trusting the Lord God of the Bible. Most high, the most high God, almighty. You can't fail with Him. Yes, also, when the danger be subtle attacks like that of a fowler or trapper, out to ensnare us. And we meet with that in life, even from within ourselves. Temptations that can come up or subtle attacks that come from outside us, sweeping upon us. Oh, God Most High still remains the safe and sure refuge and fortress, our shield and buckler also in those times. And that's true whether the attacks may be on our body with disease or plague or against the soul with satanic attacks against us, looking to destroy us. Let's not forget, I think you know, the devil used this psalm and its promise of the angels care over his people. He used it to tempt Jesus, remember that? To tempt Jesus to fall into sin before God, to jump from that pinnacle of the temple and to let the angels come, the devil said. Someone has observed about verse 13 of our psalm, with the references to lion and adder, which is a venomous snake of some kind, or a, and then it says dragon, those, those, as threats against us, they may all be some sort of images of Satan and his ways, because the devil is described like that in other portions of Scripture. But congregation, whether the devil comes against us as a roaring lion, or as a poisonous snake, or as a fierce dragon, he can and will be overcome by us with God as our refuge and our hiding place. Submit yourselves therefore to God, says James. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Yes, regardless the threats and dangers also coming long before just totally unexpected troubles. Whether the peril be from those around us or from the ruling authorities of the day, even from other nations, yet God's people need not be afraid when God is our refuge and strength and our very present help in trouble. 
true of ourselves, of ourselves, and left to ourselves, and every believer will know this, the strongest among us are as helpless as the most weak. Yes. But as Paul jubilantly says in Romans 8, 31, if God be for us, and with us, and in us, through Jesus Christ, he means, who then can be against us? Doesn't Psalm 91 bountifully illustrate this also in not only speaking of protecting his people, God protecting his people from danger and in danger, but also helping them in danger. Here too we look at the verses 11 to 12, telling us about God sending his angels to guard us and to carry us away in and through dangerous times, to protect us from destructive forces and attacks and events in our lives. God sends these unseen heavenly agents to protect and defend His people who seek refuge with Him. And how right what one commentator said, let us take note, the Lord doesn't send one guardian angel for each of His people as some fondly dream and teach, but all the angels are here alluded to. John Calvin says it was part of Christ's work to have the angels become ministering spirits for God's people. And then he writes, he writes, God does not assign one solitary angel to each saint, but rather he sends a whole host of heaven for his people to keep his people, every individual believer in their needs. The angels congregation are God's bodyguard for his people. And notice, notice, not just in some of our ways, but notice, just a little phrase, but it's powerful as we read in verse 11. To keep thee in all thy ways. Isn't that beautiful? In Hebrews 1, we are told the angels are ministering spirits for God's people as heirs of salvation. Oh, little, little do we know, little do we know and understand the angelic hosts sent by God for our protection and defense. But even just to know it's for certain and whether we understand it or not, don't you find it a great comfort, surely, that God promises His angels for us to protect us? And it's true too, isn't it? As one has well said, perhaps we shall one day, one day stand amazed at the multiplied services which the unseen heavenly hosts have Rendered to us, sent forth by God Most High for our well-being in soul and body. And can you imagine in glory having the heavenly hosts be servants to us? Who can imagine that? Who deserves that? None of us. But it's part of God's heritage for his people. You know, we learn from Jesus when he was tempted by the devil, as told in the gospel accounts, when he was tempted by the devil to go his own way and yet to trust God would send his angels to protect him anyways, that we may not so interpret this psalm. No. And thank God, Jesus didn't fall for that wicked, sly temptation of the devil. And he would not sinfully test angelic protection as the devil proposed. And the result was, did you know this? The result was, as told in Matthew 4, 11, that God sent angels to minister to Jesus in his bodily and all his needs after his severe testing of 40 days trial before Satan in the wilderness Matthew 4 11 and so it is with all God's people as taught in Psalm 91 
Oh, congregation, what I'm trying to convey on the basis of Scripture, when you and I as confessing Christians seek and serve the Lord in spirit and truth, then God, as it were, He withholds nothing. And He pulls out all the stops to guide us, to keep us, to bless us, to protect us, regardless of the dangers, the distresses from around us and from within us. So we read triumphantly the believer saying in this psalm, verse 9, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee. And it doesn't mean, congregation, that we never meet with troubles and sorrows. You know we do. But the Lord never leaves his people in ultimate tragedy, in ultimate trouble and evil. But he brings deliverance and comfort even in the midst of the greatest trials. And he brings ultimate victory in the end. And then we read in verse 13, as made clear there, trusting and following the Lord. We are not only made survivors from all evil, but also made victors over sin and evil, as pictured in trampling underfoot our deadly foes. And Paul says, we'll even trample underfoot the devil himself one day. Therefore, putting it all together, congregation, the verses 3 to 13, you agree, right? Both unmistakably and bountifully illustrate and promote our sermon theme on the whole of Psalm 91. Always safe and secure with the Lord as our refuge. Almost you would think the Apostle Paul had this passage before him when he wrote so beautifully in Romans 8 verses 35 and following. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yes we meet with troubles but the troubles don't overcome us. No. In all these things he says we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, dear people of God, this may be all true Christians' persuasion and comfort and confidence. Yes. And if you maybe still have struggles and doubts about this all, Lack of assurance. Well then, let's go to the last part of the psalm. And that should clinch it for us in a most wonderful way. So with our sermon theme on Psalm 91, being always safe and secure in and with the Lord as you're my refuge, we have seen in this most cheering psalm, this gospel truth declared beautifully, illustrated bountifully, and lastly now consider our third observation, this gospel truth confirmed beyond measure. And here we come to the last section of the psalm, which I myself only, I think I really began to understand when I worked in studying and meditating on this psalm, the verses 14 to 16. As I mentioned in this section of the psalm, another speaker comes along and testifies in this psalm about the sure safety and refuge found for us in and with the Lord as you're my trust and hope in life. One preacher said, it's like... This last section is like a minister expounding the rich message of God's word 
But then another minister who's in the audience, he stands up and he says respectfully, now move over, brother, and let me add now to what you've all said, indeed, to confirm it beyond measure. But here, congregation, what is most moving to realize is that really, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the third speaker in this psalm is not simply another minister, but he's none other than God himself taking over. And yes, we may say even, he's none other than God in Christ Jesus, the pre-incarnate Savior, the promised Messiah, Savior of sinners, before he came even into this world. We know, don't we, God would send his Son into this fallen world, this fallen, rebellious cursed world and, and Jesus Christ in the place of sinners. Yes, he would suffer all the dangers and distresses in this fallen world on sinners' behalf. And he would face, with no one shielding him, the relentless attacks of Satan, the devil, to the max. And he would bear as the just for the unjust all the righteous fury of God's wrath against sin and pay the full punishment for all his people's sin, suffering no less than the equivalent of the eternal agonies of hell in soul and body as substitute for sinners like us. And all to once for all forever be his people's protector and complete savior and defender and deliverer. Indeed, to be our refuge, strong and secure and sure in soul and body, in life and death, for now and forevermore. And in that light now, listen then to this divine speaker, our Savior God himself, as he reverently speaking now, comes on stage. And what does he say? Notice, praise God, he doesn't contradict anything said so far in this psalm. But he most graciously and gloriously and grandly affirms it, underscores it, confirms it beyond measure. He testifies in verse 14, because he that is the believing psalmist and all true believers, because he has set his love upon me, yes, and because he has known my name and calls out to me of this all he may be sure. And of this all God's repentant believing people may be sure. And then we are given, notice, eight I wills from God towards his people. Six stated emphatically and two I wills implied. What are they? Look at the text. The Lord says, trusting him and depending on him, this all you can know and be assured of without a doubt, I will deliver him. I will set him on high. I will answer when he calls upon me. I will be with him in trouble. And I will deliver him. And I, I will, implied, honor him. I will satisfy him with long, meaning ultimately full, fulfilling life. And I will, implied again, show him my salvation. Oh, congregation, what, what could anyone ever want or need more than such confirmation? Such splendid confirmation from God himself of all his wondrous care and keeping of all who trust and follow him. C.H. Spurgeon, he says, just to mention a couple of little things, he says, if we climb on high, it may be dangerous. 
Children, you know that. If we climb on high, it may be dangerous. But if God sets us up there on high, even with himself as the most high, oh, it is glorious. Indeed. And when God says in our text here, the very last phrase, I will show him my salvation. The word salvation is the same root word for Joshua, which name means Jehovah saves. And the New Testament meaning of Jehovah saves is literally Jesus Referring to Jesus, the Savior of sinners. Joseph and Mary, you know, they were to call baby Jesus. They were to call him the baby conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I will show him my salvation, God says at the end of Psalm 91. Meaning, lo, no less than, no less than, for back then and for us now, still today, till the last day, He will show us Jesus Christ in all His fullness and glory and graciousness in His perfect, priceless person and work, a Savior of sinners, His wondrous, sin-atoning, Satan-defeating, sinner-saving, God-pleasing, once-for-all sacrifice, even to the death of the cross. In and through His person and work, there is plenteous Redemption, even for the chief of sinners. And there's everlasting protection and endless defense and ceaseless forgiveness and everlasting righteousness and the gift of eternal life for us in the new heavens and the new earth to come. That new realm that God is preparing for all His people. The last phrase, you know, I will show Him my salvation. You can't help but think of when Jesus, when Jesus was here on earth and He died on the cross and then He arose. What did He do for 40 days? He showed them, his people, he showed them his salvation. He made quite a number of resurrection appearances to his disciples, didn't he? For what purpose? That he might remove all their fears, all their anxieties, and show them his complete, full, free salvation. And so to equip them also to tell the good news to all the world. And we know, don't we? When they saw and believed by God's grace and when the Pentecost Spirit came upon them, oh, they were so compelled by the love of Jesus to go out and tell the whole world, beginning in Jerusalem, even to the ends of the earth. Yes, for who can compare to the God of the Bible? And God's people finding refuge and everlasting security from all sin and evil in and through Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. Therefore, as mentioned at the beginning of this sermon on Psalm 91, may God with this reflection on this psalm so mightily strengthen and gladden all you who believe in Him and that you not be afraid to go forward ever relying on Him and rejoicing in Him testifying of him to others also in the storms of life you may yet go through and when it's the case that you are here hearing this sermon and you are still unsaved won't you today seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near you know apart from the Lord God as our savior and deliverer what hope do we have we have none there's no one who can shield us as we heard this morning too from the wrath to come Except Jesus. Jesus. So we're called, aren't we, by Him to trust and follow Him. Jesus, strikingly, is the one who tells us most about hell. 
He went there to save us from it, to save his people from it. And he calls all to come to him for deliverance. Why would anyone live and die perishing in their sins with Psalm 91 in the Bible? Also to call us all to the one and only Savior of sinners while it's yet the day of grace. And don't any one of us here be content either with just a form of religion and half-heartedly looking to Jesus, being more double-minded and two-faced rather than being genuine. The Bible makes very clear also this psalm. Who are those who know the rich gospel and may have that blessed security for soul and body, in life and death, for now and forever. Who are they? Well, they're nothing in themselves. But when they are saved, they are people, you can tell, who, 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 who know there's no safety, there's no salvation for me, except, except God saved me. Then, then, then you know there's no safety, no salvation, except you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, under the shadow of the Almighty. So always needing Him, always calling upon Him, and always looking to Him and loving Him and, and pleading His mercy. That's the way of a Christian. A Christian is never someone who's arrived and made himself good enough to become saved. No, we're always saved as miserable sinners. But when we become saved, we become a people who can't live without Jesus. That's what God's Spirit works in our lives. Then we say with one of old, in Christ I every glory view of safety, strength, and beauty to beloved Savior ever be a sanctuary unto me. Oh dear, con oh, oh dear congregation, God Triune invites us now, sincerely, all of us, to trust and follow Him, and He will show you His salvation. He delights to do so, yes, in truly, in all our life's journey, now and then forevermore in the world to come, He will show us His salvation. Boy, that'll be something. Forever and ever, God showing us His salvation through Jesus Christ. That will be heaven. Well, may the fruit of this sermon on Psalm 91 be by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit that the theme of this psalm and sermon be all our joyful comfort and happy testimony too. Letting one and all know how safe and secure we always are in and with the Lord as our refuge. When you and I need a reminder of it, congregation, then, then just read again this most cheering psalm. Read it again. And again, with its precious gospel truth, beautifully declared, bountifully illustrated, and confirmed beyond measure. Safe, forever safe, completely safe in the arms of Jesus, in the secret place of the Most High, dwelling under the shadow of His wings. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, your word is so rich. And help us never to think that we know it all, we've read it. And Lord, help us to read the Bible prayerfully that you will by your spirit open it to us and open us to it. And it's not a secret code book. It's, it's just your word meant to proclaim to us the Lord Jesus Christ in all his beauty for hopeless, helpless sinners as we all are and hopeless, helpless saints too. We need this Jesus all the time.
And what a Savior he is for sinners. Thank you, Lord, for being so gracious and grand Savior and for the security and safety we may have for soul and body in life and death for time and eternity, trusting and following you. Oh, will you so bless this word that none of us not trust and follow you, but that we seek you while you may be found and call upon you while you are near. Forgive all our sins, even in most holy activities, even now, and look upon us in Christ alone, we pray. Go with us now from here and strengthen us, each one in our needs, and help us to testify of you in a world that's full of dangers and countless fears. Oh, hear our prayer for Jesus' sake alone. Amen.